0: Welcome to Disrupt Ed. I'm your host, Ron Stefanski, and I'm joined by Dr. Caesar, who's in the house.
1: Hello, hello, hello. And
0: today in the Disrupt episode, we're going to share with you some insights from a guy who is particularly uh, experienced and talented in the area of e-learning. And uh, Dave Richards is joining us now. He's the former superintendent of Fraser Public Schools, and Dave, welcome to the show. As we've said, we like the disruptors on on board that have really, really made a difference out there. So, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's welcome, Dave. It. It's
1: a pleasure.
0: Pleasure to have so you. So, Dave,
2: day. I appreciate it.
0: Dave, I, I'm going to ask you the first question. You know, we describe disrupt ed as a podcast with uh, that's a GSD enterprise. And so what we've said is we've got a variety of different players and actors coming in to the show, uh, but what they share in common is a very high GSD index. So what we want to hear from
1: you is how did yes. you... Well, we want to say, Ryan, before you go on, he has to know what GSD is. It's getting There you done.
0: Go. All right, so Dave, if you didn't yes, know what that was,
1: you know it now. So what do you think... <laughs>
0: in your professional life, most prepared you to get done.
2: You know, you my, I love the GSD first and <laughs> foremost. Because I think, uh, you know, GSD people find other GSD people because you just kind of like, right. let's get it done. And uh, for me, I will tell you, it just goes back to my roots. I have told you a little bit about growing up in the, out in the thumb area in the country. My family was extremely poor. And we moved a ton, like 20 times before I got out of high school. And, uh, you know, just it was poverty city, right? And, and so for me, my motivation came from being told by educators and teachers that you could break the cycle, that I could, I could snap that thing and change the path for my family going forward. So it gave me a lot of hope in that regards. And for, for that drive inside of me, it's been, how do I pay this forward? How do I create these opportunities for kids? no differently than I had as a kid growing up. And I was not an academic scholar by any means. I was there for sports and social life, but um, <laughs> I, I eventually learned that it was a path to opportunity um, for me. And so that, that's been a big driver for me. The other part is uh, I just I truly, truly believe that every child deserves the opportunity to uh, have that same level of access. So that's that's why you got to be a GSD because- that's-, that's
1: right. That's right. And and you know, we, people should know, people should know. So I come from Roseville. That's where I went to school. And Dave was a superintendent right next door. Right next door. You know, so right, right
2: next door. Next door. Yeah, it was a little right after we graduated, so. but yeah, it was the right, same same geography anyway, right? Right. right.
0: <laughs> well, it's all about bringing up, you know, education. In my mind, is the big disruptor for economic development because you know if you look at current events, we're living in a world where income inequality is starting to show uh, signs of tension around the globe, not just restricted to the United States, and it's because. There has never been a time when the haves have more than the rest of the have-nots. So, you know, 470 billionaires have more yeah. wealth than the rest of us. That's that's less than 500 people have more wealth than the rest mm-hmm. of us. Billions, and so that creates social strife. And so, when you think about trying to break in, education is yeah. singularly the most dramatic game changer there is. And, you know, Dave, in talking with you before the show, it became really clear that that was a writing passion for you in getting involved as a a teacher and then as a principal. You have an interesting um, item on your resume, though, and I think it probably uh, sort of informs why you're so active in the world of disruption, and that is you're one of the few superintendents I've met, and Cesar, I don't know about you, um, who was a tech director who actually had that experience. Most tech directors don't go on to key administrative posts. They sort of stay in that tech realm. So tell us about that experience and uh, how you kind of grew your pathway forward from there.
2: Yeah, You know, what's interesting is when I I went to Central Michigan, um, Fire Up Chips, and got a degree in mathematics and computer science and hired right into Belding Area Schools, a small district over in West Michigan, as the high school computer science teacher. But then I was also, I got one class period off and I was the district technology coordinator as a regular teacher, right? Right. And the high school principal, (laughs) who I'm still dear friends with, he's like a father figure for me today. He said, I'm gonna send you all over the country and literally put his whole professional development budget into, I want you, I think this was 1992. I think computers are gonna stick. So I want you to go and learn as much as you can and put us on a path uh, that our kids would have access to what this computer life is going to be like. And so I had just an unbelievable first 3 years of learning and growing and leading, learning how to lead as a brand new teacher on a district-wide basis. And when I went to Rochester, so little Belding, rural school to Rochester, 15,000 kids, you know, 24 buildings, huge jump. You know, I was in my 20s at the time to a central office position. Um, I, again, it was just this incredible lens of saying, here's an opportunity to leverage a resource that will level the playing field for all kids. And mm-hmm. as I learned more about technology, not just computers, assistive technology, you know, um, being able to access content 24 seven, anytime, anywhere learning. I just kept thinking about every child deserves an opportunity to have access to these resources regardless if you're on the north end of town or the south end of town, Man. how do we make this happen for every kid? And that's when the GSD starts kicking in. <laughs> Start kicking in. Huh? So, and people should know,
1: know, people should know that the Rochester that you're referring to is in Rochester, Michigan. That's right. right. Yeah. I want to you miles, into this 70 conversation
0: 70 because like you had a tech background as well. And um, you were very involved in technology in the Detroit Public School District. And maybe you can shed some light on how you began to see the lens of technology transforming some of the ways we brought successful, you know, instructional strategies to the table.
1: Right. So, Dave, Dave, um, my background is similar in terms of the way I started. Well, I actually started before they had computers. Right. But, but uh, it's really interesting because I went to an area of instructional technology because I thought that was, you know, using technology, but it really wasn't. You know, but what I saw, my biggest challenge, Dave, in, in being involved in technology was looking at the inequalities of it. That's right. You know, because as you know, when technology, you know, when they first started using computers, only families that were middle, upper class could really afford it. Yep. Same with school districts, right? Yep. I mean, school districts couldn't use it effectively. And then when they started, I remember one, one story, man, where Apple made a deal with the state of Michigan. Every teacher got a computer. Every <laughs> teacher, right? And do you know I used to walk in teachers' classrooms and stuff? I said, Where's your computer? In the closet. Hadn't come out the box, right? (laughs) But the biggest, the biggest challenge we see, Dave, and if you could talk about it a little be really helpful, man, is the still the inequality and the lack of preparation. Yeah. You know, because people think just put a computer in front of them and walk away. You know if you could just share some of your ideas about that be really helpful man
2: absolutely you know this because um just going one-to-one or or implementing technology that is so disruptive in a negative way if you do not front load it with answering the question of why are we doing this right and how is this going to change instructional models how is this going to allow you to deliver content very differently how can you use this technology to assess student learning very differently the only reason for the technology is that it's going to provide a lot of different ways for the teaching and learning process. It's mm-hmm. not about the fact that you've got a computer in your classroom and and that you, uh, you know, you're one of the affluent communities that was able to do that. Did it change the way kids are able to demonstrate mastery? Did it change mm-hmm. the way for you as a teacher to be able to convey knowledge and information in a very different format that was impactful? That's where the return on investment is. It's not right. and whether or not you can take grades and, and attendance and all that.
1: Have right. You, right.
2: Have you changed the teaching and learning process uh, with technology? And that's voice, video, or data, any one of those. And using that to
1: improve, using that to improve student achievement. That's right. So at the end of the day, for me, and it still is, I'm working with some school districts now in Texas. At the end of the day, is that I move the needle, right? you know, that keeps students engaged, you know, re, re, what tools do I have to do that? And technology becomes a tool then among all the other tools in the toolkit for teachers to help advance student learning. That's right. Yeah, I think, I think you guys are both onto something. And as I think about
0: what you're talking about here, you have this disruptive force. So teachers weren't necessarily the first on the block to be using technology in their instruction. Mm-hmm. So now that we have, so this begs a really large question, which is now over the last 10 years, most districts now have access to a lot of you know, a technology in various forms and fashions. And so the question I have for the two of you uh, to talk about is, okay, if we have the technology and we know that it can be used to harness teaching and learning, why didn't it help mm-hmm. us during this pandemic to keep things moving forward instructionally, The data is out now and after two years of the pandemic, we see extraordinary learning loss. And I want the two of you Mm -hmm. as educators to kind of speak to that because I think our audience is really, you know, all of us are really asking that question. How did we lose, you know, Mm -hmm. what did we not do to get all this learning loss you know, and then
1: how do we, how do we, how do we get out of it? How do we, how do we advance the ball now? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it, Dave. I'll
2: let you go first. All right. Sounds good. Well, I my first reaction to that Ron is I, I don't believe that we had strong digital ecosystems going into the pandemic, meaning mm-hmm. I don't believe districts had a true environment where the LMS, the learning management system was incredibly robust. You know, that if you, if you haven't built that infrastructure out, not just the hardwires, the routers, the switches, and the, the device. If you have not built the infrastructure with your learning management system, people are not comfortable with content delivery, with assessing, with checking for student engagement. It's a completely different science to doing face-to-face versus the online in so many ways. So the digital ecosystem, I think, was what got exposed. Um, with the pandemic. That would be my first reaction to it. What do you think, Caesar? Well, well, I, you know, I
1: have this real challenge with the, the way the learning loss thing came out anyways, and Ron is very familiar with it. It wasn't, it, how many times have you heard about learning loss over the last two years? Probably a ton. They didn't talk about it before, but yet you have minorities and, and economically disadvantaged people. They've been, had a learning loss along. Right, but nobody paid any attention to it until white kids and middle and upper class Absolutely. kids had learning loss. Now it's a hell of a problem, right? <laughs> you know, but but most of all, I think that the real challenge with it is that the system and you mentioned it was not prepared. Was not prepared. I remember a while ago when when I was taking some uh, classes on you know some university, but it was a teleclass, so it was on. You know, again, so it was the boringest thing I ever had because all they did was switch the lecture over to a video. And and that's what I felt happened during this process. They were not prepared to use active learning strategies and technology to help advance. Like we just did the same old thing, right? Instead of ditto sheets, you had ditto sheets on the computer to fill out. So, <laughs> right. But I think it's not the teacher's fault. So don't get me wrong. It's the system's fault for not preparing teachers to integrate technology in an effective way. I think that's absolutely
0: right. And while you were talking, Cesar, we were joined by Jamie Fitzpatrick, the current CEO of Michigan Virtual. Hey, Jamie. And Michigan Michigan Virtual's first employee in 1998. Um, It is interesting, and I'm going to share this in full transparency with our audience and our listeners out there. Jamie has been involved in e-learning for over 20 years at one institution, and that's this... Uh, Michigan virtual, and at the same time, he was the last person to figure out how to get on this podcast today. And so, and <laughs> how he's you don't the only you on one. Like that, he's man. the only one I might add that had to involve his his <laughs> IT administrator to kind of figure this out. So, Jamie, welcome to the show, and maybe you want to say <laughs> welcome, a few things about what you've learned and you. taken away in terms of e-learning and using technology in the world of education and the 22 years you've been doing it for Michigan virtual.
3: You know, Ron, you're making me feel real old when you talk about all those years. I just want, I want, I want everybody to know that I was in like sixth grade when I started at Michigan. Uh, There you go, man. I know that's right. Caesar. (laughs) it's great to see you. It's been a long, long time. I know, man. So it's, it's, um, it's amazing to think how quickly time has passed and how many things have changed, but unfortunately, how many things have not changed. We know there's continues to be resistance, even after having just gone through, you know, the worst, hopefully, of, of COVID, and kind of recognizing that you know there's some there's some real value to some of these new delivery models.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Now, Jamie, you know when the state first um, provided funding to start Michigan Virtual. Um, it was spread out in a lot of different directions, but you kind of took the helm to shape that uh, narrative and that strategic focus toward the K-12 system. And I'm curious, you know, we were talking about it just before you got on the show here, about the differences over the past 20 years that we've seen in terms of um, the use of technology. And, you know, it didn't help us solve the latest problems that we faced during the pandemic. So I'd like to hear from you what are the things that you think we've where we've most advanced the ball and what do you think we've learned that we really need to step it up and pivot if we're really going to take advantage of using technology and using e-learning to deliver meaningful instruction to every kid out there.
3: Yeah, Ron, I think it's really important to reference the fact that you know back in the late 90s early 2000 online learning was really was not a thing. It was a mm-hmm. promise, and um, and it was a promise that many of us were really, really, super excited about. And I'll just say personally, I mean, my head and my heart believed that if used properly, uh, online and blended learning models could literally change the the landscape of education. There always have been people who've resisted change, and that that won't that won't go away. I think the the one thing that has changed so dramatically in the last twenty years or so uh, is I point it down to two things really it's it's uh, access to devices and the kinds of devices I mean let's face it the average sixteen year old kid is carrying something that looks like this in their pocket which is right. uh, which is a, a newspaper a TV studio a radio station I mean just think <laughs> about what kids can do um, from their from their living room it is just mind bending. And then I would say we've made, the second thing is, is we made just huge progress on access. Uh, just a fun story. I can remember around 2000, we thought we were really, really kind of pushing the envelope by giving our instructors the opportunity to put in a 30-second a audio soundbite that said, hi, I'm Jane Doe. I teach math for Michigan Virtual. I live, you know, in Kalamazoo. I, I've got a dog, two kids, you know. And, <laughs> and I got an angry call from a parent in the middle of the Upper Peninsula in 2000, 2001, and they were using a dial-up modem to get to their internet connection, and it was a long-distance phone call. For those of us who remember a long-distance phone call, that meant money for mom and dad. Yep, and this, exactly. this dad called so irate that uh, my kid just spent 45 minutes downloading this 30-second audio file, and it says, hi, I'm Jane Doe, I'm a teacher, I, I, I've got dogs and cats, and you know, I went to Western, you know. And um, so the bandwidth, Uh, And the access to digital devices has been a game changer, even though we still have access issues everywhere in the country. Right. But we've made huge, huge progress. So, Jamie, one of the things that my areas and
1: I've been involved, as you know, with professional development for most of my career. So one of the challenges I see, and if you could speak to it, is is the preparation. And, And. you know, that, that's that's occurring for teachers and administrators. Most people think it's just the teacher's end, right? But it isn't. It really is a, a whole system approach to integrating technology. What challenges have both of you had in relationship to really preparing to shift the mindset, you know, of using tools to advance student learning?
3: Yeah, right I put those into two different buckets. Uh, For years, we've tried to help teachers and administrators just mechanically know how to use technology. So, okay, can you use a word processor to create a newsletter for your your parents? Can you use a, um, you know, PowerPoint to create a slide presentation? Uh, Can you use a, a Zoom to, you know, engage, you know? And so there's the mechanical side of it, but we know just mechanically knowing how to use the technology doesn't get at the heart of teaching and learning, and so I think that that's been our, our heavier lift is how do we help a teacher understand, okay, here's what I can do technologically, but what does that mean from an instructional standpoint? And I, th- it's easy to go into a workshop and show teachers how to use a new piece of software or a new app. Right. It's really, really hard because it is a, change, as you said, it's a change in mindset and thinking about how do I literally do things differently working with my, my students. And that that's a, you know, you talk to any teacher who's really good at using technology. It's been a journey of years, not not days, weeks. Or right. Online.
0: That's a really good yeah. point. Um, Caesar was talking about so it, instru- and w- Dave were talking about yeah. instructional strategies. Now, without right. those and without a without a technology ecosystem, you're really doing one-off stuff that doesn't really sustain. Right.
3: So what are you most and excited Dave, you about, mean, I
0: guess, is the
1: question. What are you most excited about? Um, let me in terms of the- let me ask Dave. Let me ask Dave something, yeah. Ron. Dave, when you were superintendent in in Fraser, did you see that uh, kind of what what uh, Jamie was just talking about? How did you mediate that? I mean, how did you deal with that contradiction about having the technology here that could be with kids, but over here they don't know how to use it? Right?
2: Yeah. And- you know what? It's interesting. Um, I almost think there's like this grieving process that the adults go through. <laughs> Um, where they have the, the five stages of grief, Caesar. Where they have to like let go, you know, the anger phase. Then you get to the denial phase, and then finally, the fifth stage is acceptance, right? Where you finally get to that fifth stage of saying, "Okay, tell me what I got to do." Um, and they'll even barter, like, "Hey, can we create a different job for me that allows me to?" And it's a it's a fair thing because they've been master teachers in in the traditional model. And now we're asking them to do something that they don't completely understand. And so that's where our first conversation is, you know, you really have to target your professional development mm-hmm. to make sure that you can support these incredible teachers who have great relationships with kids. They, they know the content. That's not the issue. Mm-hmm. It's the delivery model, right? So that's exactly right. Illustrators, what are we doing to do our due diligence to make sure that we customize it so that every teacher has the opportunity We talk about personalizing learning for kids all the time. Right. You got to get to that place where we're doing that for the adults so that they're active. They have agency. You know, where's the where's the teacher agency in the professional learning? We need to get to that place as well. That's a really, really
1: good point. You know, and the, the other part of that is universities and teacher colleges need to adapt a similar model. But they do what they've always done, stand in front of people and lecture. But I mean, here te- our you you get a teacher who's certificated, become a master teacher even, but yet we don't prepare them to utilize technology in the proper way. I mean, yeah. th- that mindset has to change as well.
2: And, and that's a big conversation, see, that Jamie and I have on a regular basis as we work with districts from across the state. We're we're really trying to have the lens be focused around how do we design for learning going forward versus. Mm-hmm. The structure of school. And if we're designing for learning, then let's look at from the the heart of the organization all the way out to the edge. And what what do teachers need? What do kids need? How do we involve community? How do we build that space, that capacity to do this? It's a new ask. It's a completely different model. Cat's out of the bag. There's no going back burn the ships. Here we go.
0: You know, you guys have made me a lot more optimistic about where we're going with all of this, because a lot of times I hear, you know, I've been hearing a lot about uh, the things that haven't gone right um, in terms of technology, Mm -hmm. especially during the pandemic. And so I like, you know, we're going to need to wrap, but I want to ask you both of you, if you'd uh, be able to join us again for another episode. And we'd like to really, I think in our next episode, I think we should dig in a little bit deeper about what you were referencing, Dave, a moment ago, which is uh, learning design. What's the future of learning look like? Mm -hmm. And I know you've been doing a lot of work, you and Jamie, on this whole topic. So can we have you guys come back and do another episode with us to talk about that?
1: That would be great. Yeah, we'd love to. and the other thing that we want to ask is think about this, what is the ideal state that we want right. to reach, right? I mean so while, while we're talking about that on our next show, because we need to visualize the future, yeah. you know, and our, our instructors and administrators need to visualize the future, a state where we can get to. So thanks yes, guys. Thank You're you so j- great.
0: In closing, why don't uh, Dave, you and Jamie share with us? one thing that you're particularly excited about that makes you very, very positive about the future of learning?
3: Well, for me, it's really simple. I think we're starting to gel. I mean, every K-12 educator in the country recognizes that the ground has been moved underneath them. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's a growing recognition that's just across the board, parents, teachers, administrators, school board members, that the future of learning really is high touch and high tech. And that, mm. that's, I think, the first time in my career I think I could say that uh, and really, really mean it. Mm-hmm. Dave, what about you? Right.
2: I, I would add uh, the future of learning is personal. You know, we talk about personalized learning, but that starts with the human. And it gets to the, f- the fact that in order for us to truly have an equitable environment, we have to target every child. And we know more about kids than we ever have before academically, socially. We know what's going on. More than ever, we have to create the space and the capacity, Ron, for every kid to have their own plan for learning going forward. And I think we're closing in on that. I really do. Well,
0: that's really great to hear. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for a wonderful conversation.
2: Yeah, we'll look thanks, forward guys. To you
0: forward. I'm Ron Stefansky, the host of Disrupted. I'm joined with Caesar, Dr. Caesar, am uh, my co-host, and Jamie Fitzpatrick, the CEO of Michigan Virtual, and Dave Richards the executive learning strategist for the future.
1: I just love I know, that name title, so to tell
0: us more about that the next too. time. <laughs> Join us the next time on Disrupt That. Thank you folks and have
1: a great Take care guys